Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Mo. favorite song right now if you didn't know that was hours and hours um by uh money long oh my god love that song but anyway welcome to another episode of conversations with mo It is such a beautiful day. I am my day has gotten started super super early um those who know me know I don't get nervous much. I don't get nervous. I don't get, I'm, I'm a naturalist when it comes to like podcasting and speaking, but today I'm kind of nervous. I'll tell you guys shortly, but I want to just have a special shout out to Kiana who came by uh, from but- Butterfly Body LLC. She came by and brought me a delicious salad. She has f- healthy food alternatives. She juices. She does everything. And the food she brought by was so great. We talked about healthy food options, her business, and how things have been going for her. It was such a great interview. So thank you so much, Kiana, for stopping by. Um, but today, very special guest today. And I've been kind of like going back and forth, like, what am I going to talk about? What am I going to say? And I was like, you know, just just be you. It's okay. Um, for those of you who don't know, the girls on TikTok put me on about a month ago. And I was like, you know what? Because I said for 2022, I was going to be very intentional. And I was going to start reading more books. And I, re- I used to read books all the time. And then I kind of just stopped. But then I said, you know what? I, f- I fell into a black girl, black girls read TikTok or, or black girls TikTok on, on that read books on TikTok and they were talking about this one book and I mean the girls love this book and so I said okay I'll I'll pick up the book and I got the book from Target and then after I got the book I was like okay well this is this is a really really good book my sister would start calling once I get all into get all into my interview but anyway so I was like this is a really good book because you I could I felt like I could relate so much and then all of a sudden I got an email one day and and somebody said hey you know such and such and such and such wants to interview with you I was like what and I had to make sure it wasn't spam I had to email back in because you know you get all these spam emails but anyway I would like to introduce to all of my listeners uh Target's diverse club book pick, Arthur Miss Jane Allen. How are you? I am I am well. Thank you for having me. That's such a great introduction. 
<laughs> I was like, what book is it? That, that sounds like a good book. Girl, it's a great book. <laughs> um, Jane is the author of Black Girls Must Die Exhausted. And this is a page turner, mama. Let me just tell you. <laughs> I was like, oh, what's going to happen next? Like, Tabitha Walker, it's about a young lady by the name of Tabitha Walker. Um, She's one of those, what I call it girls. She got it together. You know, she got a checklist going, and she done checked off some things on her checklist. And she is just kind of doing it right, or or what we kind of deem as doing it right. And then she kind of just struggles with um, infertility at a very young age of 30, 33. So it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, my gosh. Like, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, um, as a black woman, we've kind of all hit those type of bumps in the road. But she has an amazing circle, amazing group of friends, and it's, it's just it's a fun, fun read. I think what I enjoyed the most was I kind of felt like I was reading it like in my own voice. So it, it made me feel like, you know, there was like a connection there, like just the verbiage that you used. Everything was just like so, so amazing. And I wanted to talk about it, but then I was like, well, I don't want to mess it up for anybody who hasn't read the book. So we won't get too deep into it but welcome today um i know you're out on the east coast so i'm i'm glad that you took some time out of your morning to come have a conversation with mo thank you for i'm I'm excited to have this to get into it (laughs) so a lot of you don't a lot of people may not know but you are you're from detroit i'm from detroit i'm from the d that's right i kind of found that hard to believe i was like what (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I came out to LA, but I'm very much from the D, born and raised. I left for college, and uh, but yeah, it it is very much in my heart. Um, so I, I am, you know, uh, there are moments where you will know that I'm from Detroit. Okay. <laughs> Listen, it comes out. You know how it goes. It comes out it comes sometimes. Out. It's in the water. It's in the water. Yeah. <laughs> So tell us, like, how was growing up in Detroit? Um, I've only been once. My grandfather lived there for a while, and I visited maybe when I was young. Not old enough to remember, but tell us about growing up in Detroit. How was that for you? It was was amazing for me. One thing about Detroit that is, I feel like, unique, and it was at the time for me growing up, is that it was a city with a black power base. Mm -hmm. You know, the mayor was black. Um, my parents' friends had executive positions. They were doctors and lawyers and professionals and had agency within, you know, the, the city that we lived in. And uh, we had opportunities there. You know, you can get a six-figure job with a high school diploma, you know, wow. if, if need be in the factory. So people had an economic base where you could buy a house and have a car and you put your kids in school and, and pay for college and do a lot of that, those things. So there was the, there's a unique opportunity space in Detroit. And there was, there's definitely the whole, you know, span of, of living, you know, and, and quality of life. But there was that to be able to see it where, you know, you know, you can see a black mayor, you know, you have you know, a black police chief, you know, that, some, the judges and, and different people have rep, you have representation in that space. So I think that that had a lot to do with um, you know the concept in your mind <laughs> of what's possible. Gotcha. And uh, and so Detroit 
had that. And then also uh, just the Motown, I, I just call the Motown mindset a little bit where we just are hustlers. Like we are just going to make it happen. Yeah. And then we're going to find a way out of no way. We're going to make a way out of no way. You tell us no. And that's like, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> we're going to figure out. <laughs> because those who don't know your resume, like you are definitely a hustler in the sense. And like I was going through just kind of, you know, doing my little research and I was like, oh my God. Like she has done and dabbled in a lot of stuff. So after leaving Detroit, you went to Duke University. Uh, what was the big decision? How did you, are you kind of like today's um, high school seniors? Like, oh, I got to step to here. I got to step to here. I'm going here. Was it like a big toss up or how did you feel about like, just like, yeah, I'm going to Duke? Well, it was, for me, it was not like that. I just, was, I wasn't thinking about, oh, let me collect acceptance letters. I knew early on sophomore year of high school that I wanted to go to Duke. And for me, you know, I grew up in a culturally black, it was culturally mixed for me. I, I had friends of all cultures, races, and that was kind of cool. We have a very large Middle Eastern population in Detroit. I had a lot of uh, South Asian friends, black friends, and but my core, my base was culturally black. That's my cultural home base. Okay. And so I wanted to go somewhere where I could still experience that, where I wouldn't be feeling like a fish out of water so much. And um, my mom went to Howard. I was like, I'm going to Howard. I went to one Howard homecoming. <laughs> my mom, I was like, I'm going to Howard. I was like, my, my neck, I felt like it was on swim. I was like, this is where I need to be, you know? <laughs> <laughs> my mom was like, I went to Howard. Like, I know she was like, I, you can't go to Howard. So I, uh, I was like, well, how can I get close to that experience? So Duke was like, I can go to Duke. Duke, I think, was like number four in the college overall rankings at that time. Okay. Had a good basketball team. And there were all these black schools in the surrounding area. So I was like, look, I'm going to have community. I could watch basketball. I could have this, you know, kind of hybrid college experience. And so that was what I was going for with that. And I really, I only, did I only apply to Duke? I only applied to Duke. Really? (laughs) Yeah, I applied early admission. And not only that, but when I knew I wanted to go to Duke as, as a sophomore, I was in touch with the admissions office. I was contacting, you know, I was like, what do I need to do to get in here? I want to make sure, you know, I'm doing what I need to do. Cross like, all you your T's, dot all your I's. <laughs> yeah, they were like, and they're like, it's too soon, girl. Like, relax. <laughs> you know, study. Be in high school. Right. Like, you, you'll be all right. And I was like, no, I'm, I want to know. What do I need to do? Like, tell me, tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. You know, and so um, when I got my acceptance letter, they had a handwritten note on it and it said we're so glad we can finally accept you <laughs> listen you were already a I name i wasn't playing <laughs> they already knew listen if anything speaks volumes when the admissions office knows your name they know that you're really trying to get into their school well, i was not playing that's an exciting story so once you got to do what what how did you feel like you fit in though did you fit in well did you were you homesick because you know freshman year a lot of freshmen that first semester some of them tap out they don't even make it through the first semester of college because they're homesick and you know sometimes it it could be a cultural shock um from what you're used to and things of that nature how was the first couple of years at duke 
but it was fun. I, you know, I, I was rooming with a, one of my childhood friends. We had both gotten in. So that was my freshman year roommate. Uh, and literally these are still my like kind of lifelong friends. And then across the hall was my friend, it's my friend, Andrea. I, I don't know if she's going to be listening, but shout out to Andrea. But, um, we opened the door, you know, like freshman year, uh, I guess first day or whatever, we look like sisters and we're both only children, but we look like twins. If you see us, we're wearing hair the same. We, we had never met before, but it was like freaky Friday. I was <laughs> like, you open the door and you see yourself across the hallway. It was crazy, but that was, and so we had, we were across the hall from each other. Her roommate happened to be a black woman. And my roommate was a black woman. So we had this immediate kind of base of community. And, and also I have, we, we called us, um, they were like, all oh, these twins. We're like, we're not twins. <laughs> we, just, we just met. We're just black. <laughs> we just, yeah. We, but, but we, we do, we do actually look alike. And, uh, I mean, it, like objectively, cause I know sometimes people are like, all black, all black people look alike. Listen. In this case, we actually do. So <laughs> Listen, it's funny because. So it's, it's, White people think we all look alike, and we and we think they all look alike, and they think we all look alike. So it's just kind of like a thing. Right. <laughs> right. It's a. It's like it's so. In this case, it's act. It was actually true, but it was just about building community. And I, I think actually now that I've never really talked about it like this or thought about it, but I think in my whole journey that has been an underlying theme everywhere I've gone, everything I've done it has always been about building community, even like going into books and everything else. It has always been about the power of community. And maybe that started from Detroit and understanding that. But when I was at Duke, that was very much, you know, my, my friend base, that core group, we had a core group of, of people. We had a community. Right. And that having that, I wasn't homesick so much. I, I had community. I built community. And I think that where I go, that just is my instinct. So Duke was great. I gained some weight, a lot of food. <laughs> freshman 15 never a fails of, wherever you go. Freshman 20. I don't know. Maybe freshman 50. It was, I mean, we, we were eating. I remember that. And, uh, and just, you know, partying and, and studying. But then uh, one of the big things that happened, I, my, my sophomore year roommate, when she became my best friend, we sophomore year, we knew we were thinking about, okay, what are our life plans? What do we want to do? And we decided we both wanted to go to Harvard for law school. Okay. And again, kind of how I was thinking about uh, undergrad with Duke, we had a meeting. This is like, so this is my, my roommate sophomore year is uh, Danielle. And so we sat 19 years old. We sat and we were like, all right, we did up all the parties freshman year. Any parties you feel like you can't miss? Like, no, we, we did the parties. Any okay. guy that you feel like you need to date or that you need to focus on right now? Like, no. You know, is there anything that you can't sacrifice in this time window, this critical time that we're going to have to use to get the grade we're going to need to get into Harvard Law School? And we're like, no, this is, we're going to be in the library. You know, other people will be partying. We know what it's going to look like. But I'm going to roll with you. You're going to roll with me. We're going to be in the library. It'll be Friday night. Okay. <laughs> we're going to hear the music. We've already been to that party. We know what that party is. Gotcha. And we're, we have a long-term perspective. So we, we had that meeting. I was at 19 years old. And we're like, wow. this is what we're preparing to sacrifice. We're going to, you know, it's not. It's going to be quiet time in the dorm. We're going to study. We're going to buckle down. And we both wound up getting into Harvard for law school. Wow. And, and we were roommates in law school. 
So that was <laughs> those two years, sophomore, junior year. That was very much focused on the next phase of where next levels. To go. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. now Harvard Law School, man, that had to be like an experience because no, no shade. Everybody can't go to Harvard Law. <laughs> <laughs> but to be able to attend, you know, the Harvard Law with your best friend, that had to be an amazing journey. Yeah, it was it was incredible. It was and because there was a storm and when the acceptance letters went out, it was like a big winter storm. And I think her acceptance letter was supposed to come to North Carolina and mine was going back to Michigan. My mom got my letter. So I got my letter a week before she got hers. That week between me getting my acceptance letter and her getting her acceptance letter was basically the darkest day. <laughs> I mean, she was like, I, I see it to this day because she was sitting in her room in the dark listening to John Coltrane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, it was so dramatic. It was like a, a sitcom episode. It was so dramatic. I was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? This girl has to get into the school because I don't think she's gonna make it. I ain't gonna be. I ain't gonna be able to take it, and she definitely ain't gonna be able to take it. <laughs> I know we we not gonna make it. So so she she finally got her. I think they had to reissue the. I don't remember, but it was a thankfully. It was just that I went. I went and got some uh, champagne. We were twenty one at the time. But anyway, so what we had that was that was when I felt like I could celebrate when she got her acceptance letter and we both knew we were going but uh but being there again it was a whole experience of community everybody especially black students don't always have a great experience uh at hls and it is really for me what made it a good experience my first year of law school i had so i strangely enough two of my other friends like one of my other best friends from under from my uh, childhood, I'm sorry, wound up in my class. Oh wow! And another friend that I had known since second grade wound up in my class. And then uh, and then another friend that I knew from like I think since I was like maybe a baby, like a child, wound up in my class. So there was a group of us as my best friend, then another one of my best friends from childhood, and another friend that I had known since second grade. We formed a little group. Of us, it was all black students, and we would have dinner together every Thursday night. Oh, wow. It was without fail. We would rotate. And so what we were able to do with that group of people, we were able to bring our issues into community. And, it, you know, where we were feeling uncomfortable, where we were having challenges with studies, study groups, you know, or any issues, we could bring it into community and have support there. So that was definitely key to why my why I can say I really did enjoy my experience. <laughs> You know, and I think if you ask some other people from my class and some people that are my friends to this day, they would have a completely different story for you. <laughs> yeah, I had a, like a little, a different world going on there. Like, that is yeah. so cool. Like, you, you never. I understand. need to write that book. That would be funny. Listen, <laughs> we're waiting on it. So a lot, a lot of people may not know, but this Black Girls Must Die Exhausted isn't your first book. No, it's not. He's <laughs> done your research. I have. <laughs> so you wrote a book called Peace of the Fame. It was a social media marketing strategy book to ignite your business. Um, and this is the serial entrepreneur part of you that yeah. a lot of people may not be familiar with. I mean, of course, you studied law, but you also dabbled into marketing, um, and which mm-hmm. is really cool because we talk about marketing and you see marketing 
conversations all the time on Twitter and Instagram. And it's all about the algorithm. And, you know, how do you really just get your business to a place of, you know, where you're reaching the audiences that you want to reach? How did you decide that that was going to be a next turn of events for you or, or something that you wanted to kind of jump into? It was, well, this is like 2010, 2011. So okay. we got to go all the way back when this was the early days of social media. And uh, so I was an engineering major undergrad and I went into the music industry. And the reason why I went into the music industry was because of Napster. So I'm kind of dating myself. Um, I've had a lot of practice being in my 30s for <laughs> more than a decade. So more than a decade in my 30s. But now um, I'm in my early, mid 40s. So um, but around the time of Napster, I went into the music industry and I saw how this, the digital landscape was changing a lot of things. And then we had this sort of beginnings of social media. Okay. And for me, it just, you know, YouTube. So I was at uh, Universal Music Group. I was in their digital strategy group. I was seeing a lot of these platforms very, very early. Okay. So they would come, you know, we'd have meetings with them. I'd be aware of what was happening before it became a, a, a big, big, big thing. It was a small thing, even when blogs were just getting started. Okay. I started a blog in the very early days before, <laughs> before a lot of these, you know, big blogs took off. And, and uh, But I would try a lot of these different things, experiment. And one thing I knew about social media and that I identified was that it was going to be a big opportunity because yeah. people had access to media platforms and brand building in a way that we had not before. You don't have to spend a lot of money on advertising for television. You know, you don't have to um, be trying to bring people to your website. Like yeah. people are going to come to you and you can find yourself in front of them. So I knew that was going to be a big deal. And then working with Lady Gaga, that was how she really really blew up and and expanded her her audience i was gonna i was gonna dive into that because you work with lady gaga and prince like yeah how was it like who can say in their lifetime that i've worked with lady gaga like that is the most had to be like heartfelt like just thing to go through just like okay yeah I did that you know just kind of say it like <laughs> no worries <clears throat> yeah it, it, it was an incredible experience it was right I joined the team right before the Born This Way album came out okay and uh it was an incredible experience in running digital strategy I was at Twitter meeting with you know the head of Twitter I was at Google meeting with the head you know the top 12 people at, at Google you know, I, so when it came to social media and watching this thing happen, I had access to in a way that most people would never have. Okay. I got to see the, the sausage getting made, basically, the nuts and bolts of how this really was happening, how we positioned an album that went platinum in that way and across all these different platforms. So that was what, for me, it was such an incredible experience. I wanted to give back what I learned. From that, And that's why I wrote that book, because I thought, okay, the best thing that I can do from this is help other people navigate this space of social media. Again, back in like 2011, 2012, I was like, this is going to be a, a powerful tool if people use it, know how to use it wisely. Right. Because I think at that time, people were like on Facebook and, you know, they were spending all these money on ads oh. trying to build up their likes. Don't and, you know, tell me. That that was- Jesus Christ. <laughs> 
Facebook ads is a scam. I promise. <laughs> it was. I remember, and I was just like, you know, this is a little comment and ask. I was like, oh, don't don't put your money there because you can't control your audience in that way. So I I wrote this book to try to help people focus their efforts and, and not waste all their money building, you know, try to build up Facebook, like knowing that you, now everybody knows, right. you know, never see those people again. God bless so, you. I, I'm definitely going to <laughs> buy the book. I don't care how or not it applies to common day social media. I, I promise there's so some fun. gems in there. I promise. Cause <laughs> every time I think about Facebook ads, I cringe because I'm like, I spend, I'm not even going to talk about how much I spend, but you spend this money and then you don't really see, you know, the organic interactions that you're looking for. And it's just like, yeah. give me my money back. I want my money right. back. This I is, want my money back. This did not <laughs> do what right. I said it was going to do. <laughs> no, it, it's, that's, that's something really important to know. And I, for me, you know, small business uh, owners, you know, startup entrepreneurs, your money and your resources is so precious. Yeah. And it really pained me to watch people throw good money, valuable money after something that's not going to get them what they want Absolutely. and what they expect. And even what people, it was like this very buzzy, faddish kind of thing. And I was like, no, 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 don't do that. We, you know, we, need, we needed you so long ago. <laughs> Yeah, I was, but I mean, I put the book out and I would, you know, go off to my next adventure, but I felt like the people that needed it or, you know, it was there for people to find. And, uh, and then I was off to, you know, work. I started my uh, consultancy and then a little bit later I was hired by Prince. And so those the icon, that. The icon yeah. Prince. So you can't just say that like, yeah, I work with Prince. No, Prince is a <laughs> icon. How, how did you, yeah. how did you? Like when you first got the news, like, or when you first, you know, started working with him, how did you like fan out a little bit? Cause I don't think I would have been able to make it. <laughs> I did. No, I had, it was a moment. I was like, I did and I didn't because you know, I've been in entertainment a long time. And the only person I've met pretty much everybody that you, you know, everybody that we've heard of, you know, I've met them in rooms with whatever. So that wasn't the issue. I'm just like, you know, the, uh, I, I, <laughs> are you hiring me or are you not? That was kind of how <laughs> you know, I was thinking about it. But with him, that was the one person for the whole time leading up to that, that I wanted to work for. I was like, I just, his genius, his business genius, his creative thinking, like when he put his album in the newspaper, I was like, I need to know that mind and that thinking. And I would, if I could work for anybody, that was one of my greatest dreams that I thought was absolutely impossible. And when it came to me as an opportunity, I had no idea that it was going to be, that it was what it was. Right. Because somebody called me and they were like, well, what are you doing right now? And I was like, I'm driving. You know, I was like, it was literally like I was following the truck. I was like, I'm driving. Um, and she was like, no, no, no. Like, you know, I was like, oh, I have my consultancy. I'm just kind of doing projects that I'm passionate about. You know, I wasn't practicing law anymore. I was like, I'm done with that. I'm, you know, really focused on brand development and product development. And she's like, well, you know, I have this artist that's looking for in-house counsel, you know, kind of person. And you seem like, you know, you understand the, the artist's temperament and, you know, the space. Like, you're, you know, you've got the substance on the business and legal side to do this. And you can, like, manage and navigate you know, artist land. Right. And so I was like, Oh, you know, I thought it was somebody I had already represented because I had represented some other, and I was like, Oh, I'm not really excited about this. But something about my, in my gut was like, 
just, and they're like, well, if you, if you have any interest at all, you know, I'll tell you who it is. And I was like, well, all right. And they're like, <laughs> oh, it's Prince. I was like, oh, what did you, what, you want me to sleep the floor? Like, I, what did you say? <laughs> I like, Listen, I, didn't I would even have been in the yeah. back of the car in front of me. I would have just like lost all control. <laughs> I was like, I was like, the answer is yes. Whatever you, I don't remember what you said, but, but and then she's like, well, do you have a resume? And I was like, oh no, I, you know, I have a website. People like, I, you know, I'm a consultant. Coach. Like, I don't really. So, well, just give me your website. You know, I'll pass it along to his team and him. So for a week after that, and I had to go. I had a speaking engagement in Malaysia, and I was going to be in Southeast Asia for like two weeks because I was going to take a vacation. I went to Bali after that. And I was sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, Prince is looking at my website. I was like, I would go back and look at my website, like, is everything in order? You know, and so I just think that. And I got a call, like, about a week later, and it just turned into this, like, okay, here's some negotiation. Like, we're going to bring you on board, we, you know, whatever. And then for the first two weeks that I worked for him, we never had any communication. It was like, I was communicating with his manager, you know, but it was like... Yeah. You know, I'm like, well, I can't, I can't work for somebody that I haven't met. And I did not know that at that time that he would go years without talking to people that were, really? you know, working out. Oh yeah. You know, that was like, oh, I was like, well, that's just not gonna, that's just not gonna fly. So, uh, so at one point, so it was like a couple of weeks later, they're like, well, he, he wants you to call him. So I called him and he was at the, see at the Beverly hotel I think and uh so I had to call him in his room he didn't have a cell phone he didn't have a cell phone or anything and uh and he had like an alias I had to call so you know I so I call the room and he picks up the phone and I'm like I'm like Prince this is Jenny so Jane Allen's my pen name Janique is my given name and I was like that was the craziest thing that I've ever said in my life still to this day like Prince this is Jane so we, we had this out. long time <laughs> I, I was I was nervous at that point, but it just wasn't the way that he conducted the conversation. It was the nerves went away. Yeah. And it was just that he just took himself on sort of a tour of my mind and my thinking. We talked about maybe 15 different topics and just he's like kind of dancing his way through my my thoughts. And we were you know exchanging ideas and we're getting into conversations about this, the music industry. And it was just it was amazing, an amazing experience. Just that. And then I got a call the next day uh, that he wanted to meet me in person. Oh my and god! And so that I was like, "Oh my goodness, what am I gonna wear?" That's <laughs> all I can think about. What am I gonna wear? What am I gonna wear? What am I gonna wear? I was like, "Oh my god, what am I gonna wear?" So I I don't even know what I wore. I was like I was like trying to be trendy and and I, it was I, whatever I wore was terrible. I don't know what I was thinking. Mess. <laughs> Oh, and I went over to my friend's house. And I was like, I was like, I need to go meet Prince. And I like sat there like before. I was like, you know, I had to sit there at my friend's house for like an hour, just like, okay, I'm gonna go from here over there. And uh, and so I went. And the first thing was that he came into the room, but I didn't see him because I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna freak out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna embarrass myself. I was like. I was like sitting on my hands, like, oh my god, I'm embarrassed. Like, this is gonna be bad. This is gonna be real bad. She's gonna fire me. This girl is crazy, and she can't dress. That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh no, you know. So I just sat there. I was like, oh man. And so the what he how he came in the room first, he just said something to me. I think he um 
asked me if I wanted something to drink or whatever, but I was able to map the voice to the conversation we had had. And gotcha. I was like, so I felt at ease because we had, had such a great conversation the day before. And then he, you know, kind of slowly came in the room. I was like, oh, Lord, oh, let me just not make a fool of myself. I was, like, I was just trying to sit still, like just be normal. And then he came over and introduced himself he like, as if I didn't know who he was, you know, but he was like talking to me bit by bit. He like, slowly following your approach. It was like he almost had a sense of things of like, yeah. you know, this person is like wigging out right now. So let me just let me like, take my time. <laughs> yeah, let me make it easier for her. So he, you know, it was a presidential suite. So he, there was a lot of room to like make his way over in the room where I was sitting. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that was, we had this first conversation and he had like thoroughly researched me. Uh, and he just asked me like a very like personal question. He sat down in front of me and he just asked me like a very personal question. That was like the first question he asked me. And we just wound up having a really deep conversation for about four hours. I think I left there at three o'clock in the morning. And we played, he played music. He like, you know, it, it, it was incredible. It was an incredible wow. experience, the whole, the whole bit of it. And he spent a lot of time um, talking to me about being an artist. And at that time, I had no idea that I would become an artist, that I would write something that I would consider art. Okay. Or that I'd have to to know that, yeah. and I don't know how he knew that because it was not in my consciousness or awareness that I would be stepping into that space at all. Wow! Listen, I could die after that story. I just <laughs> take me now. This is it. I met Prince. The oh, world. No, there's so much more. There's so much more to that. Yeah, no. absolutely. That was just the beginning. That was the beginning. Look, but it was, was enough. The, that was the icing to kind of get you started. <laughs> So you also work for a universal music group. How long yes. were you actually in the music industry? Oh, um, almost 10 years. Okay. Um, and, you know, sometimes I still am in that space, but, you know, I, I people try to threaten me to come back, not threaten me to come back, but, you know, I, I have a very specialized knowledge base for the industry and, and digital strategy and uh, digital music and how music is now being distributed, I wound up working on a lot of those big deals. Okay. And uh, with the companies that now have kind of monopolized how we experience music. So I've still, uh, music, I, I grew up in that space. I'm still of that space. Let's say that's, that's my family, my professional family. Okay. But I have pushed it off. <laughs> You've kind of added <laughs> something else. Case. Yeah, absolutely. You've added more ground to your resume. So it, it's yeah. safe to say that you are, you know, like, uh, what do they call them? A, a jack of many trades type thing. Right. Well, yeah. 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 I, I definitely have tried to expand my base, but, uh, and, skill set and experiences and the thing that I've learned in being in a lot of different industries, the fundamentals are the fundamentals. Oh yeah. So this, some of it's transferable. Yeah. And, and you can take most of them everywhere you go, you know, it's just kind of yeah. like basics. Like you even it, listen, you know, I, I've done a, a little bit of dabbling. So the cosmetic brand <clears throat> is what really took me there because I'm a I'm a yeah. I'm a makeup junkie. I, I'm all into like skincare and all this stuff because I I worked I suffered for a while with hyperpigmentation 
And I mm-hmm. worked for over a year just trying to get it balanced. And when I got mm-hmm. it balanced, I was like, oh, this is lit. And so when yeah. I saw that you had, you know, a cosmetic line that debuted on QVC, I was like, no, wait a minute yeah. now. <laughs> this, this lady yeah. really is out here being an, uh, a, a serial entrepreneur. How, how did yeah. the, the yeah. cosmetic line just come about? So I, I was working with a um, person I worked with for about seven years as a business mentor. He was an industrialist and built companies. And he wound up uh, taking over a, a fund, basically, that had okay. other companies in their portfolio. So they owned and, and built and developed. Their business was uh, investing in and developing other companies. And they had a defunct cosmetic line. The prior management had kind of you know, run the company into a different space where it really wasn't a functional company anymore or a brand, but okay. there were some really good assets there. And so the, the, the board that owned the company asked me to come in um, as a CEO to turn the company around, turn the brand around and, and give it a new lease on life and okay. find a different direction. And so that was the first opportunity. And so I had to reconceptualize the brand, you know, figure out what was useful and they happen to have amazing formulations. The formulator, he had formulated uh, Donna Karen skincare line and uh, one of the most innovative products, the Dennis Gross um, two-step uh, peel pads. I don't know if you ever use those, but those are amazing. Okay. And uh, just all these, innov- it just, it was incredible to even just get to meet this person, but not just that, but just sit for hours and have him teach me about formulation and skincare and products. And so that was just incredible in and of itself. But what I learned is that a lot of work and thought and effort and quality had gone into these products so we could reposition them brand-wise. And so I got to work with an incredible branding agency, the head who had redesigned the Evian bottle, but also did Mark Jacobs packaging and uh, Givenchy. And just, I mean, some top of the top of the top line branding agency. We, we repackaged the products, reconceptualized them, added on, you know, use digital platforms. We really built the audience through social media and okay. educating people about skincare. And I wound up going and getting an esthetician's license mm-hmm. in that time <laughs> because there was a, about, I know there was a window of time between the, the rebranding effort and then manufacturing take a, takes about, you know, six to eight months. It, it was a long process to get actual products back. So rather than just kind of sit there twiddling my thumbs, I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to go get an esthetician's license because I just believe that this can get launched on QVC. And if, if perchance I have to go on QVC, I need to know what I'm talking about. Know what about. I'm talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so that was a dream. I mean, that was something I put out, but we worked towards it. And I think that's just one of those things to say, whatever you want to do in life, I I believe this. You've got to just put it out there. I mean, I've, I've told two stories now, maybe three of the thing of things that I was like I thought were impossible long shots. Right. But just you wind up at this opportunity space one day, and you it's a it's a matter of saying yes to something. Yeah. But you find yourself there. So uh so yeah we we wound up in this long story, but we wound up selling into QVC and and launched and. Um, at that time, I thought that I, as a black woman, could not be the face of this product on air. And I was, I had someone else who uh, was white 
who I thought they would want instead of me is like these high price, you know, skincare anti-aging cosmetics. And I was like, well, I just, I don't think that they're going to want my, me to do this. Wow. And so I had positioned, um, someone who was white on my team who, you know, wasn't running the company because I was running the company, but, uh, to do this and to my surprise, but it was so enriching for me to have that experience, the purchasing team and and those that were making the decision about on air at QVC, they said, no, we need you to do this. Absolutely. It's your passion. (sighs) It's your company. And the rest of it isn't, doesn't matter. Absolutely. Just you show up and you do that. And, and for me, I'll never forget that, you know, thinking, wow, all of the things that we believe, it's not necessarily true. Yeah. And it's about challenging that, and especially for black women. I, I realized like, yes, yeah, it's, it's sad that I thought that, but it wasn't unusual. It, and that. I was just going to say, it, it, it's sad that we feel like that, but mm-hmm. it, it happens more often than you think. Um, sometimes yeah. we just like, well, maybe, maybe I'm not the face that they want to see, or maybe I'm just not what's going to be the driving force behind this, even though I'm, I'm technically running the business. So you kind of yeah. like almost second guess yourself, but I'm proud that you got the opportunity to just for someone to just be like, no, it's you. It's you, girl. It's you. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, I think you, you need that. And, and a lot of these experiences that we're talking about this, when I went to write Black Girls Must Die Exhausted, you know, Tabitha, is the, it's not me. It's not, um, it's not, you know, biographical at all, autobiographical. It's fiction, but a lot of the experiences are informed by some of the moments and things that I'm telling you yeah. <laughs> of, of life. Like, and it was unusual to have that moment you know, not everybody gets to have that where somebody says to you, if you like challenge this imposter syndrome that society has conditioned you to internalize, I'm going to bring you into a moment to ask you and force you and encourage you to challenge it. And it's going to matter. And you get to make that decision. So some of this stuff informs kind of how I think about crafting stories because I'll write life parallel experiences or the world that I create for my characters is parallel to the world, but the experiences that they have are the unusual ones. Yeah. That don't see. I'm glad you kind of segued way into that. Cause h- how did the pen, how did you pick up the pen? How, how did you just begin creating these great stories? Cause we're, I mean, you already gave us black girls must die exhausted, but February 1st, you dropped another bomb uh, on us. Uh, Black girls must be magic. And it's funny because I, right before our interview today, I went outside to my car to get my glasses. And as soon as I walked outside, the UPS guy was in front of my house. And I was like, thinking to myself, now I didn't order nothing from Amazon this week. So (laughs) I'm like, why is he here? And I'm thinking, well, maybe my daughter got something. And so, I forgot all about the book and he gets <laughs> off and he has this little small package and I instantly got excited because I knew oh, exactly goodness. what it was. So I was like, Oh my God, this is it. Now I gotta, now I have to finish up the first one. Um, so I can start yeah. reading the second one, but what made you just 
kind of say, you know what, I, I want to write a book. Like, I think I can, I'm really good with with my pen. How did you just decide one day this is going to be something that I, I'm going to do? The, well, I was writing nonfiction. That was a little bit more accessible for me. I didn't, I, I first wrote a book that I never published just to see if I could write a book. That was the first thing I was like challenging the thought in my mind. I could never write a book because I thought that I, I never thought I could. Okay. And then when I got to the idea to write fiction, somebody said to me, you know, people, I always felt if I had something important to share, I was going to put it in a book. That's what I do with my nonfiction books. I wrote about digital strategy and brand development and, and using social media platforms to build audiences. And then I wrote a book about resilience because I thought, you know, entrepreneurship is important. And the biggest skill that I've learned in that process is resilience. And that was the thing that's been most necessary. So I wrote a book about that. But somebody was saying, if you really want to give somebody something, it's through stories and storytelling. And, and, you know, that's what you're doing in nonfiction a little bit. But I thought, I really want to write a story. I want to write a story that, that uh, feels representative to me, that feels like a celebration. Yeah. And at the time... When I first got this idea, it was 2016. We were in the height of the Trump presidency. You know, I, I was <laughs> I was feeling unsafe. I was feeling unseen, uncelebrated. All the all the uns. And I thought I want to turn that around. I want to I want to do something that is going to celebrate, acknowledge what the weight of this is, and unpack this. But then is going to also celebrate me and you know, who I see me to be as a black woman and, and what I see in black women around me celebrate that for what it is. It's like celebration of perseverance and strength and sisterhood and community and beauty and humor and all of that stuff, all the magic. <laughs> I wanted to celebrate it. And, uh, and so that was where I first got the idea and I had no idea how to write fiction or, or how to create a novel. And so I, I just had this dream and this vision of it. And then I went about figuring out how to accomplish it. So I had to take classes. I had to, um, which was, was great because it felt like this was achievable. Like this is something I could learn. Yeah, I can do this. Because I think a lot, a lot of times, yeah, I think a lot of times we believe that there is this anointing, you know, or it's a gift <laughs> that only, you know, were you, were you rained upon on this certain day by the, by the guy? Right. <laughs> then, you know, you shall not be a, a writer, but that's not the case. It's really a skill and, uh, and it's something that can be learned and practiced. And so once I got that confidence that I knew it would happen, I, I knew I could get there. And so, so that was the process. It took me a couple years <laughs> to get there. But you, you perfected it though. You, you, you've really perfected but your yeah, craft. I wanna, I've been, well, thank you. I, I've been, I'm working on it. So this is my first, this is my debut novel, my first foray into fiction. So I, I feel like this is going to be a process and a journey. So I appreciate everybody coming along this journey with me and reading and being part of this, but um, I'm just getting started. Listen, but, yeah. well, that's good to know because um, when I, I'm going to tell you how I kind of got into books. My dad is a heavy book reader, and I mean, he reads everything. And mm -hmm. one of one author that he used to read all the time that I loved was Elin Harris. 
And mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Um, like I said, when we spoke earlier, I was saying to myself, I'm going to get back into books and, and, and I'm going to just yeah. kind of find some books. And, and I didn't know how to go about it initially. <clears throat> Cause you just don't want to walk in Barnes. <clears throat> you don't want to walk in Barnes and Nobles or <laughs> Target and be like, right. where are the books? <laughs> right. So, right. <laughs> of course I went to TikTok and <laughs> kind of did my research. And it was so funny because um, you can type in kind of what you're looking for. Um, yeah. And I typed in and all these black girls on TikTok <laughs> are talking about, Black girls must die exhausted. And when no, I saw, I listen, <laughs> check it out. I'm a, I'm gonna send you some stuff, and I would just let yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I would One girl said, "If you're looking for a page turner, <laughs> like this, this is it." <laughs> and she is no lie. And I think one of the things that I, I really could connect with was, um, they said, uh, someone said that. Uh, you write in a sharp, lively voice that is full of warmth and humor. And that is so true. Like when you get to reading the book, it's just like, okay. Like it's not like one of those kind of like, and I think when people may be confused when they read the the title, they, they got to be like, mm-hmm. oh, this is probably something dramatic. And no, it is, yeah. and you know, it's, it's some touching, it's a touching story, but it is very like inspiring and upbeat type thing. And, and it, it kind of just kind of still gives you this hope that things can really fall into place for you. And, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with, you know, having life planned out first and and that was good to see because sometimes we we read things that are like oh typical but we half of us are already going through that you know so give me something else to kind of look forward to so that was yeah that was very very inspirational um just kind of like reading through the book but how did you come up with the pen name jane allen uh, so my name is Janique. My middle name is Aline. That's my given name, the, the name I've used professionally. And so when I wanted to do this fiction thing, and like I said, if I had no idea I was going to be an artist or do anything artistic. And to write a manuscript like this or even to do something so outside of the norm for me, and especially having been a lawyer, been in corporate, been an executive, putting yourself out there in this kind of way is just, for me, it was harrowing. It was frightening. And even thinking of, you know, the title is a, it, to me, that was one of my first acts of art because it's provocative. It's this, it's this, it has its own space, its definition that, you know, is defined through the journey of the book, but it's not something obvious. It's not commercial. It's not gimmicky. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just raw. It is what it is. Like yeah. it was just this, this inspired thing and, and, for me, it was reflective of how I was feeling. Mm. And in writing the book, what I wanted to do was change the meaning of, of how I was feeling. I wanted to do some magic, some alchemy, and take this feeling of exhaustion and make it mean something inspirational through the course of writing the story. Right. So make it mean, you know, I have the power to make it mean anything. That was what I believe. You know, I guess Kanye West does this too, and everybody you know, thinks he's wild one but (laughs) I I, there's something to that like you can make something mean and we've done this as a people and as a culture we have taken things that were meant or were weren't 
great, you know, and, or, and turned it into the best thing. So yeah. that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to take how that and turn it into the best thing, um, through story. So, uh, it was just bigger than me. I, it was, so Jane, I, I decided a pen name would be like my Sasha Fierce. And <laughs> Come on, so, Sasha Fierce. <laughs> so that's why my literary Sasha Fierce, where I'm just like, you know, I'll be fearless in this space. So, so Jane Allen can be the fearless me that, you know, I'm building towards, but haven't become yet as myself. So I had, I created a space for me, myself with that pen name. So it's, it's close enough where, you know, it feels authentic to me yeah but it also gave me it's given me room to grow as a person absolutely and as an artist I like that that I, I really like that because when I first started like kind of doing my my research I was like wait a minute that's not her name let me let me go back let me look again but I, I like the story behind it I like how you just kind of put some put something together that really just defines you and the person that you wanted to be and and, and created this person that has made like books for us to really relate to and not so much as relate to but just kind of put black women out there and let people know how how we sometimes feel I think we are the most I always say this all the time and my friend hates when I say it but you know sometimes we are the most misunderstood and and unprotected species out here so you know to actually be able to put words to paper and and be able to relate and it's not anything like oh my god so dramatic it it was a a pleasure being able to read so the follow-up black girls must must be magic how how did that how was writing that one for you it was it was a little bit different of experience i think the first one i was just like i was just writing and i was like this is i'm just doing my thing and you know i'm gonna (laughs) try a few different things and, and, you know, with the second one, I was getting a little bit more road under my feet. So it's a little bit uh, more structured. It's not as, you know, flowing and art and, and artistic. It's, it's got, it's more structured. Gotcha. So the second one is that the third one is a little bit of a mixture of both of them, okay. but I, the things that are important to me are experience. So I think about this a little bit differently because I, I come from other types of entertainment. And I think the thing about the book industry, it, it takes itself kind of seriously in a lot of ways. It's like, well, we're, you know, this, and then like, you're a form of entertainment, you know, just like the other <laughs> forms of entertainment. I know that this is like, oh, we're, we're, you know, intelligent. It's like the intelligent thing you do to read a book. Yes. But it's still entertainment. <laughs> right. And people have, people can, can consume other, you know, types of entertainment if right. it's more compelling or interesting. So when I went about writing these books, my main thing was thinking about that and that I'm, you know, I'm up against people's entertainment hours and entertainment choices. So I never think of myself as, you know, this, you're picking up this book and you would otherwise pick up another book. I'm thinking, would you pick up this book when you can also watch Netflix or HBO or Hulu or go to the movie? I want you to want to read this book because the experience is better than any other type of entertainment you can consume. And so that's that's what I'm holding myself to when I write. And so I think about, is it, is it going to be engaging? Are you going to viscerally, are you going to be part of the story? Am I taking you somewhere really actually giving you something that feels like an experience so that when you close the book, it feels like you went somewhere and you come back with 
something that is helpful to your life, whether it's a life lesson or a learning or something, or you feel like you have this, these friends or these people that you met and that it, it was enriching yeah. and it was worth it. So that's how I thought about the, the, that's how I think about writing and I'm honing that craft in, uh, as I progress. But that's, that's what I'm, I'm working towards, keeping the pacing up, making the pages flow. You know, I, I want it to be a book where, you know, if you see a, a Jane Allen book and you haven't read for a while, you know, it's going to be good. You can, and maybe we'll get you into reading the next book, you yeah, know, and, and, absolutely. Uh, and it can be something uh, like that. So that's, that's kind of how I think about it and, uh, and have continued to try to build that, that skill set and, uh, and deliver hopefully consistently, yeah. some, you know, where you know what you're getting. Well, or a little bit. You don't know what the story is going to be. You know, you don't know what you're getting, but, but you don't you know get some good. good. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, Emily Hen- Henry, who is New York Times bestselling author of Beach Read, said, "You are an author to watch," and she is telling <laughs> no lies, y'all. I promise. Jane Allen is definitely one of the the authors that you want to watch in 2022 and the years to come. She's putting out some great, great content here. Um, I heard you say third book. So mm-hmm. when, when should we expect the third book? Early 2023, but it's, it's I'm, I'm almost done with it. It's, it's looking good. Um, I'm happy with it. And I think people will enjoy. So yeah, so early 2023, third book, we have a, another book coming. That's a, a different universe, different characters. Okay. Uh, I'm excited about that. And do we have, uh, do we have a title I, yet? For the third book? Yeah. Or the fourth book? No, no, we don't have a title yet. Okay. TBD. Okay. Something in the back of my mind, but I got it. Me and my, my editor are going to go back in the lab. And like, we came up with Black Girls Must Be Magic for the second book, which is kind of like, now you have to top that. Yeah. So we'll figure out. <laughs> we'll see how we're going to top that. And the uh, fourth book, I've been doing some research. I'm excited about that. It's, okay. Uh, might be a, a black girl surfing. I keep teasing that, so I, I just got a wetsuit. Yeah, I heard you say this morning you did your beach walk. So yeah, exactly. So yeah, well, this is I, I've got. I've never surfed before. Okay. So and my one of my characters is going to be surfing. So I like I said, I try to bring the experience viscerally into the book. So I, sometimes I have to actually have the experience so that I can create it or recreate it in words for the reader. Yeah. So this is one of those things that I'm really excited about having this, this black woman from Chicago on a surfboard. On the surfboard. That's right. That is so dope. It looks like you have 2022 and 2023 planned out for us. So keep us in the chokehold, please, because <laughs> I promise you, this is just one of the things that we can appreciate as a culture. Um, just seeing black women thrive and, and doing something that's that I can just say is for us. And I, I like to be able to, to, to say that, you know, we have something that's for us. So keep doing what you're doing. Any book tours coming up? I am doing, I'm still on my virtual book tour. So I'm posting the uh, events on Instagram. So I'm not doing anything in person yet. Okay. Um, not scheduled. All of the things that were scheduled for in person got shifted to virtual. So there have been virtual events that, well, that, and the good thing about that is that they're recorded. So you can still watch them. So I did an event with Lit Bar and Politics and Prose and um, Loyalty Books. So okay. that's been part of it. It's ongoing. 
And I have some events coming up. Um, Oblong Books with one of my law school classmates, Lacey Schwartz, which is coming up um, later this month. I'm so excited about that. Good deal. So, uh, so I post everything on Instagram. I try to send it out to my mailing list, but things have been so fast and furious. Sometimes I miss mailing it out, but I always try to post on Instagram. So gotcha. if anybody is looking for for uh, updates, <laughs> we will that be is there. Where they are. Well, yeah, we there. I, I can't wait until you start doing in-person tours. I'm going to show. I ain't even going to tell you. I'm just going to show up and be like, hey, it's my old. <laughs> so, hey, girl. I'm bringing all my books so you can sign. So I'm excited. I can't wait. Um, keep us. Po- tell people where they can follow you on social media. So I am on Instagram, Jane Allen Wright, J-A-Y-N-E-A-L-L-E-N Wright. And uh, Facebook, also Jane Allen Wright. And I'm mainly on Instagram. You can go to my website, which is janeallen.com and sign up for my mailing list. And those are my main, main outlets. Okay. We're going to get you on TikTok though. We got to get you on TikTok. You know what? I I have a TikTok account. I just have not been in the mix. Yes. Yes. I need to get on TikTok. Got to get on TikTok. (laughs) It's popping over there. It is. It's like a whole new world over there. Well, okay. I appre- let me tell you, this will go down in the history books for me. This was special. I, I When me and you were talking off the air, I kept saying, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. But I kind of feel like you felt with Prince. Like, I'm cool now. Like, everything's a go. <laughs> so this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have a conversation with Mo. One thing I want to do before we leave um, you your your books are both of your books are available everywhere. So run out, everyone, get them. I buy my books from Target because I'm a Target girl. Um, but <laughs> Barnes and Nobles, anywhere, Walmart, wherever, because every when I go places and I hit the book sections, I see your books. So um, make sure, yeah, make sure <laughs> Target, Walmart, Barnes and Nobles, um, so many other places. But make sure you get Black Girls Must Die Exhausted. And black girls must be magic. If you had one thing, Jane, before we leave, if you had one thing to tell black women, what would you tell them? I would say you are celebrated and you are special. Awesome. I like that. That's what I would do. Awesome. Well, thank you again. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Tell your dog, thank you. He did not cut up. She did not cut up one time while we were talking today. I thought she was going to kind of get excited for a little bit, but she didn't. But thank you guys so much for tuning in to another conversation with Mo. And we are going to get up out of here. Conversations with Mo is available on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Music Play. Please like, rate, and subscribe. <laughs>